0: A full life means to me that one is living with meaning and purpose and one knows that one belongs. That there are people you can call on to share joyful moments and there are people you can call on to say things aren't going so well and I could use some love and support. I think knowing that your life mattered and that you made a difference whether it was with one child or an entire community that
1: is living a full life. Living life abundantly, man, that's awesome.
2: When he said I don't think he just was speaking it for us about financial gain or anything on earth, because the Bible teaches us, you know, everything that we gather, nice cars, big homes, all that is vanity. None of it means anything. You want to gather this for a moment. When you're gone, it's not going to do you any good. It's for the next person to inherit and do as they please with it.
3: If you're not chasing after your dreams or your goals, you're just chasing the wind. You know what I mean? There's no fulfillment. A full life it means
4: you know, I'm able to, to wake up each morning and reflect on what I did yesterday and, and be proud of it and happy about it, know that I've impacted someone in a positive way, knowing that I was able to be be honest and transparent and, and vulnerable with my friends, with my peers, with my neighbor, that I'm able to cry and be okay with it, that I'm able to to laugh not, and not and not feel guilty about it.
3: There's so many kids that got so much talent, they got so much in their brain, but they don't have the support that they really probably need to open up their mind to all the things that they can do. And uh, I wish I'd have knew that when I was a kid. You can get anything you want out of life. You can earn anything, you just gotta have goals, you gotta have dreams, and you just gotta do the footwork.
5: I battled with drug addiction on and off. And I ended up selling some and then we did a raid and they arrested me. I was looking at 10 years. And I couldn't believe that. I was just like, I really messed up my life. And I knew I had to get my life right with God because obviously I was headed down the wrong path and I needed some supernatural help. I had to look at it like an opportunity to better myself and it was a radical transformation. A huge weight was on my chest that lifted off finally, and I could breathe for the first time. I know the power of God, and once you experience God and know His love, and like you can never forget that. And so I knew I needed to get right with Him again, get my life back on track. Full life is having joy in your heart and loving yourself and living for God. That is joy, that is a full life. I was more free at the time when I was in prison than I was any other time in my life.
3: The full life is the self-actualized life. It is to become what Jesus is. What we do changes how we feel. So to people who don't feel love, I say do loving things and what you do will transform how you feel. You are exactly what God had in mind when God made you, and then you watch people inhabit that nobility. And you're inhabiting your own nobility because you're holding the mirror up and and, and returning them to themselves, and you're being returned as well. You don't want any daylight to separate you. And that happens initially, service provider, the service recipient, but you don't want that. You want to get to mutuality fast. There's a woman who's, who's been a tutor here, Japanese-American woman named Ms. June, they all call her Ms. June. And we wanted to honor her one year at our big gala dinner and she just, oh, I don't want to do it. She finally agreed and so very shy and humble She came in and and, uh, she started to walk out of my office after I had invited her to do it. She turned around and tears were streaming down her face and she says, the folks here have saved my life. You know, so that's not what people think. They think you've come here and think of how many people you've mentored or tutored. No, it's way beyond the notion of, well, I got more than, than I gave. It's more than that, it's a oneness with each other
1: far as i can see
3: Qualify ourselves all the time, but if you're the proud owner of a pulse, then you can accompany people.
4: It took a lot of self-reflection and, and work on myself to get to a point where I realized that I was not somebody who could change somebody else's story, that they change their own story, and I'm just there to walk beside them as they figure their stuff out.
3: But it's like recovery, you know? You ask people in recovery, they go, oh yeah, I we went to 23 rehabs. And it wasn't like they found the great rehab, finally. It's that they got to a place where they, you know, it works if you work it.
4: We all have to realize that we have something to give. It's good to know that your abilities and your resources, your time, you as a person have something to give you also have to make space for other people to bring what they have to give. It has to be an exchange. It can happen by being intentional about caring for for people around you that don't always have to disrupt your your day-to-day life. They can be fit into that and over time I think that 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 can grow to be something bigger. People have expectations on them. They have jobs that take up a lot of their time. They have families that uh, that they're caring for. I think we need to understand that loving our neighbor can fit within all that. Because we can always be more generous with the people around us. We can always be more compassionate to our parents, our coworkers, our friends, our kids. And all of that falls under this idea of love your neighbor.
1: To go into the neighborhood, probably the most important thing that we could have done was to go in
2: and be quiet and just listen to the people. Just asking them what they like and don't like about their community. What kind of change they want to see. Because I don't think they get listened to a lot. Maybe more <laughs> so, stereotyped or judged.
1: Stop for the one. Just make it about that one.
0: I'm very happy because <laughs> I'm going to because I found the help here. I found raitu help here. For that, I will be happy when I help others.
2: Helping by soup kitchens and, and handouts um, are a way of, of loving on uh, orphans and widows and, and anybody in need. but it doesn't solve the problem. My heart ain't right. You can give me a million dollars a day. I'll be broke by two months from now because I'm not living right. I'm going a, I'm to a spend money foolishly. I'm going to be doing things that ain't of God and everything else.
3: So that's why it's so important to give people hope and dignity. And in order to do that, you got to give them an opportunity to be able to change their life, improve their conditions.
4: When we talk about capacity uh, that exists in in, in these communities, it's there. It's just like no one is is asking or or looking at it through that lens of of strength.
3: Yeah, I don't like potential, I don't like success, I don't like failure. Because a lot of that stuff is measuring, measuring up, and, and that's less important to me. For me, it's about goodness. So it's not about becoming good. It's about discovering your goodness. That's the truth of who you are. Always no exceptions.
0: To me, this is how we should be living, that we should be living together. I want people to understand our whole entire community will be healthier, and for generations to come because we're stopping generational poverty, lack of employment, lack of education, because these children will go on and go to school and have a job and have healthier families. So the first
2: night I came to sleep in the streets, I I got here around 10 p.m. So I showed up and then they asked, Brad T.K., what what are you doing here? And I told them, today I want to spend the night with you. And they said, no, you you should go home. The street is not for someone like you but I was adamant. I told them, well, if they are sleeping here, I'm as human as they are, I should be able to sleep here and there'll be no problem. I slept for about three hours and I couldn't sleep anymore because the mosquitoes kept biting me and I really got to understand the harsh realities
0: of their life in the streets. It started with a very simple idea is that you listen to people. They were pretty clear that
2: standing in line and receiving an unhealthy hamper of food wasn't helping them, and that we needed to create a space that was more dignified, more respectful, more focused on on unhealthy food, and ultimately to become cooks and gardeners and engaged citizens and volunteers and really contribute to the fabric of the community and make it better.
3: I grew up with, uh, with privileges, privileges that I didn't earn. So how could I expect those people growing up in the conditions that many of them are, terribly affected by sexual abuse and physical abuse and grinding, mind-numbing poverty, you know, how could I expect them to end up where I did without some form of help from all of us? You know, how could I expect that? You can't, but that's the way it is.
4: My faith is really based on verses like James 1:27, That religion that God sees as pure and faultless is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And that is a call to action. Anyone can do it. It doesn't take a special person. We're just being asked to come alongside and care for people. And so I bet my life on that. And I believe that God loves the world. And so I am called to love the world. I'm not called to love the world in this church box. I'm called to love the world where it
3: is. Mother Teresa said this, we all can't do great things, but each of us
1: can do small things with great love. You don't need to fix every single problem that people have. You don't need to be a hero. Just listen.
3: I think that's a natural thing in people. We all want to care for each other. We all want to help each other. We love doing that. You know, I watch my grandchildren. They don't want to do anything more than they want to help. People are longing for authenticity. People want to live as though the truth were true, and they they don't know how to put first things recognizably first, but they long to do it. People want to take seriously what Jesus took seriously. They respond to it on a visceral level. They go, yeah, that's what it is. It's about authentic gospel living. It's not about a system of beliefs. How do we keep imagining a circle of compassion and then imagining nobody outside of it? People long for that. It also happens to be God's dream come true.
2: Well, hello again. Um, I'm so excited for um, today, and not because we're kind of ending or wrapping up this series at all. Today, I think really 12 Neighbors kind of starts. Right? This is not a spot where 12 Neighbors ends. Really, this is the starting line for a lot of us. And uh, we want you guys to see that final video in its entirety, because really this whole series has been about story. It's been about people's stories and us being able to learn from them. And we want to kind of give you a glimpse of everyone's story just a little bit, as well as the kind of uh, recap that that video uh, did for us. And so before we um, close up, at least today, uh, in the series portion of this, I want to talk for a a very few moments about Easter. And uh, we still have some Easter invites left over. Um, These little three-by-three pieces of paper, like an invite, that could mean someone's eternity. And so we would love for you guys to to leave with armed with some invites to continue to invite people. And I'm so excited for how uh, our staff has kind of prayed vision into this about seeing people move from darkness to light. And from chaos to clarity, like each one of us, whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus or not, each one of us have either a first step towards knowing Jesus or a next step in our journey with Jesus. And we want to um, make that known to people at the Curry Center. And look, Doing a big event like this at the Curry Center, that's not just to kind of you know, pump our own tires to say, hey, look what we did. We put a bunch of people in this one building. It's for us at like, all three services of Crosspoint to get together under one roof once a year uh, to do community together. But it's also a way for people to hear the truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so give people that opportunity. Be a bringer. Be someone uh, who brings someone to our Easter celebration next week. Uh, for parents... Uh, Your kids are going to have their own event in the first floor of the Curry Center. Registration starts at 9.30. Uh, Arrive early, get a parking spot, uh, sign your kids in so that you can uh, get a great seat and not miss anything. We're starting at 10 uh, a.m. sharp next Sunday. It's going to be a fun, fun time. Um, Has anyone here ever been at someone's bedside, maybe at a hospital, uh, where they've kind of passed from one life to another? Anyone have, ever had have that experience? Or maybe even have you been at someone's bedside and had a conversation with them, and, and little did you know at that time that might be the last conversation you ever had with them? Anybody? Uh, I remember about seven years ago, my grandmother was in the hospital and she had suffered many years with dementia and a few other ailments. Uh, She was 96 years old. And uh, I remember the last time that I stood by her bedside and the the last conversation that I got to have with her. And as I stood there, uh, we were about to leave, Catherine and I, and we had uh, one of our very young sons with us at the time. Um... I remember she called right before we left. I said, goodbye, Grammy, and she just kind of waved me close. And so uh, little did I know that that would be like the last time that I would have a conversation with her. Um, But as I pulled close, I had to keep in mind that she was a little bit incoherent, and uh, and she was in kind of a moment in her life where she was very soft-spoken and you had to make out. So I, I bent over to her bedside, and I pulled my ear close to her, and she said to me, this is the last words she ever said to me. Make sure that you get, or that make sure that you stay out of my garden. And I kind of propped up, and I was like, "Well, what on earth does that even mean?" Uh, she, like I said, she was um, suffering from dementia, and she actually thought I was the neighbor's kid from the 1950s who used to trample her flowers. Um, I remember a few years ago when my friend Conard passed away, and uh, we went as a staff to kind of go pray with him. And little did I know, it was the last time that I would speak to him. And just before we left, he pulled me close to his lazy boy, and uh, you know, you, you stick your ear in and you listen very, listen very intently. And he, the, all he said to me was, "I appreciate you." There's something specific about. Uh, you listening to someone in the last words that they say to you. Maybe it's a friend who leaves, right? Maybe it's a friend who takes a new job and they move to a different city. And that last interaction that you have with them, you remember the last words that you have with those people. And so it was the same thing with the disciples in Matthew 28. Uh, a few chapters earlier, uh, before his death on the cross, cross, before his sacrifice, he has a meal with his disciples and he sits around a table And he says, look, this is probably going to be the last meal that we share together. And they have community and they have fellowship together before Jesus goes on that road. And then in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, he shows up to his 11 disciples and he sits with them again at a table. And what he does is he actually gives them the last words that they would ever hear from him. And so, of course, in this moment, they are... They're listening very intently, right? They, they move their ear close to him, to what he's about to say. And this is what he says to them in Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. It says, "'The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so that was the last words that he got to speak to his whole kind of crew, right? And essentially what he was doing was leaving the ministry in their hands. He's like, look, I've given you the last three years of my life. You've seen the power of God work in me and you've seen, uh, you've seen me do these amazing things and the way that I've taught. Well, now I'm leaving it in your hands. This is now your mission and this is why it's called the Great Commission because it's something that we do with God. It's something that we partner with. That's why it's a co-mission. We do it along with him, with the power and the presence of Jesus in each of us. And so he's equipped them He's set them up for a win, and he's saying, look, this is what I need you to do. This is the great commission. This is what I expect of you. And so really, that wasn't the end of Jesus' ministry. Really, that was the start of the church uh, later on in Acts 2. Like, this was, that was the starting line for them. And I think it's the same way for us, for 12 Neighbors. Uh, I think that this has been a, a hard but really good series for us as a church. It's had to stretch what we believe. It's had it's what we believe in uh, in in loving our neighbor. It's had to stretch what we believe and and what we say and what we think about the poor and the marginalized in our community. Like it's been hard. We've really had to dig deep into God's word and hear what He has to say for us. But for us, this is not the end of Twelve Neighbors. Really, it starts here. Now the work begins. You know, we've been challenged by the Word of God to do some of these things, to spend ourselves. I remember the first week that Pastor John uh, preached, and he had these uh, jugs of water, and as he began to pour from one to another, he said, look, the more that we pour ourselves out for another, the more room that we give for Holy Spirit to continue to work in us, we spend ourselves. And the next week, we talked about relief versus development, how we not just give relief but we do development so that we can reach foundational problems and start from there. And then next week, Pastor Dave talked about what it means to start with your strengths. Not to see someone for their deficiencies, but to start with their strengths as we lead them to a new life, a full life, as we've talked about today. And the next week, we talked about creating context for community. And then when, when you and I, when we understand one another in our strengths and our abilities That sets us up for a win as a community, as a group to go out and serve others. And last week, Pastor Natalie talked about understanding systems of injustice. And like Jesus, we need to be willing to learn and understand about others around us with empathy and compassion. Like it's been hard, but it's been good. I believe that God is is setting us up for co-mission with him. I believe that God has given us some new tools for us to use to serve our community and our city better. And so there's, I think that there's three outcomes, and I want to land the plane here in a moment, but I think that there's something still very valuable for us in this. As we love one another and as we serve our community, as we care for the poor and the marginalized, there are three outcomes for you as an individual in your walk with Jesus. And the first is this, is that you get to experience Jesus Like, the more that you pour yourself out, the more room you give for the Spirit to fill you. We get to experience the love of God in ourselves as we give that to others. The more you live and love like Jesus, the more you experience Him, and you get a feel for how it is to live in the power and the presence of Jesus. So the first thing is that you get to experience Jesus. The second thing is that you honor Jesus, I've got two boys, 9 and 11, and they're at the age now where they've taken it upon themselves to try and parent one another. Right? So I sometimes get this first hand view of my boys trying to parent one another, and it gives me a glimpse at how I'm doing as a parent. Right? Whether it's good or bad, we can have that'll be a different discussion for another day. But it's honoring to me when I see one of my sons encourage or reassure, or uplift, or honor the other. That's an encouraging thing. And now, sometimes it goes the other way, and they try to parent one another in the ways that maybe don't necessarily honor me and my parenting. That happens, too. But when we serve others, however unlike or however peculiar they may be to you, you honor Jesus by displaying the same kind of love that he showed us through his ministry. So you experience Jesus, you honor Jesus, and finally, you introduce Jesus. I believe in a 1 John 4 kind of love. Like, love is not just a characteristic of God. Love is the essence of who God is. And when you, when you start from a Christ-like love to serve others and serve your community, and the poor and the marginalized, you're introducing the love of Jesus to people. And that's a good thing. You introduce Jesus. So let us not be the end of 12 neighbors, right? Like this is really the starting point. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we get the opportunity to jump full into wherever it is that God is leading you as an individual to love your neighbor. This is where our work begins. And so what we want to do as a a church community is not just say, all right, here's this one thing that we're going to do as a church to make sure that we get started in this 12 neighbor thing. Um, Because we all have different giftings. We all have different abilities. We all have different resources. We all have different amounts of time that we can give to, to something like this. And so what we've done, actually what some of our own cross-pointers have done, has have given us a list, like a huge list of ways that we can love our neighbor and that we can serve our community. And um, after service, we want to welcome all of you to make your way across to the fellowship hall. And we actually are going to have some action teams. We're going to have some representatives of an action team. And all they want to do is help you find your place to serve and love your community. And uh, they have this is just the starting point, essentially. This is uh, a list of 12 really easy ways that you can get involved in your community. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. There's even more. There's a website on um, this piece of paper as well that gives you even more ways uh, to, to go beyond even just this own list. But we would love for you to go and just take a look at some of those. Have some conversations with some staff and with our action team. Just saying, like, where is it that I can serve? That's the first thing. The second thing is, is this. Um, our our friend Finney Bryant is... Uh, is she... Your, oh, there you are. You're sitting in the same spot you were last night. I should have known that. Uh, Finney is from social development, specifically works uh, with uh, fostering. And we have right now in our church six families, and I bet you don't know this, six families that are currently foster parents, uh, which is, yes. Thank you. I, I received that. I received that, not in a prideful way. Um God challenged Catherine and I to be a foster in our boys to be a foster family back in November. I was one of those people who said, "I will never do that. I could never do that. I don't have the patience." And we've seen uh, from others the stories and the difficulties that it can sometimes have. But I guarantee you, it has been one of the most challenging and one of the most uh, uplifting things that we have could have ever done as a family. And uh, I would love. to to see more families jump into that. If you have room in your house and room in your heart for another human, you should absolutely have a conversation with Finney uh, in the fellowship hall afterwards. Just ask questions, okay? No one's asking you to make any decision, right? Just ask questions and see where Holy Spirit might take you. And so that is gonna be available for you as well. And even on a global scale, we have Vanessa here, and uh, we would love for you to speak to her if you are thinking more globally, but we wanna set you up for a win, we want to give you every and any opportunity to love your neighbor and serve the poor and the marginalized in our communities as best as you can, right? There's got to be a, this is the starting point. There's got to be a starting point for you, and we would love for you to take us up on that offer. And so after the fellowship hall, our service, our service leaders are going to give more uh, information for this in a moment, but make your way after. Uh, as a one final thing that we want to do to kind of cap off this series, but really starts us off in the series in a lot of ways uh, is do communion together, because when it came to the great commission, it started with a great communion, and we that was the way of Jesus saying like, look, I'm leaving this in your hands, and I believe that He's calling us to something similar today. And what so what's going to happen is the band is going to lead us in one last song this morning, and as soon as they go. Uh, We're going to continue to worship, but our ushers are also going to begin to serve you your elements for communion. And as they do that, just hold on to them until the end of the song. Continue to worship, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to lead us through communion, and we're going to send us off in the love and the power and the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together as our ushers come forward.